there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, I just wanted to take a minute before your podcast starts to talk about something very important to me. Black Lives Matter. I, Sarah Strumming, am committed to anti-racism and the companies that I oversee, the Cognitive Canine and Cogdog Radio, are also committed to anti-racism. I recognize my privilege here and I recognize that I have a platform where I can use my voice and I intend to do so in such a way that combats systemic racism because it absolutely affects the field of dog training and it's time that everybody with a platform uses it for good. I'm gonna link a list of resources for ways that you can support black, indigenous, and people of color and also just some educational resources that I've found helpful in my anti-racism journey And I hope that we can all stand together to dismantle racism in dog training and therefore in the world. Cheers. Hey everybody, I have Megan Foster here on the podcast with me today. Megan is of SynergyDogSports.com. She is also my fellow instructor at Fenzie Dog Sports Academy and happens to live like super close to me. So I bother her for agility training sometimes. Um... And we wanted to talk about the kind of common categories of agility training and the pros and cons of each. So Megan, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this with you. I think we're both a little fired up about it. (laughs) Is that how you would describe it? So here, so I I feel like we'll, we're going to try to keep this concise, but all bets are pretty much off. Um, so the, we've kind of divided this into four categories, and they are online agility training, in-person private agility training, in-person group agility training, and then, of course, solo agility training. So just kind of flying solo, which... Um, it's pretty much how you're doing it most of most of the time. Um, and we're going to go through the pros and cons of each. So let's start with online, because that's primarily, that's where you're teaching right now. So talk a little bit about what you think the pros are of that format. Okay, so pros of online training. Uh, the one off the top of my head is it is way more flexible with your schedule. So if you don't have a consistent work schedule or a consistent life uh, schedule, you can kind of just put time away whenever you have time to train. So that's probably a big uh, benefit of online training. And the more we think about that, that also means that you can tailor the training a little bit more to your dog, right? Not only the time, but also Mm -hmm. how you do it where you do it, what reinforcers you use, what distractions you have out there. It can be way more focused on what your dog needs and what you need in that moment. 
I think so. And I think, um, I think that sometimes there's a lot of value too in written feedback and that kind of comes down to what kind of learner you are. Um, written feedback or video voiceover feedback, which I know yes. <laughs> you do for a lot of students, um, just can be, it can be really valuable. I know that when I've had video voiceover feedback on some of my own personal agility, I was able to connect some dots that I maybe couldn't have connected if I just ran the thing and then you told me what I did. If you're telling me what I did and I'm watching myself do it at the same time, that can be a game changer, I think. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, the the feedback bit uh, with, so the benefits of having even just the instructions and the feedback in text means you can go back to it as mm -hmm. often as needed. So mm -hmm. you you read it, you go try to do it, you're like, eh, still doesn't, still isn't doing it quite right. You can go back, read it again. But then like you say about the voiceover feedback, um, which I use most of the time because one, I can, it's also better for me. I can talk a lot faster than I can type. But the voiceover feedback, like you say, you, you get the benefit of both. You get to hear the instruction and you get to recall that memory, but you also get to see it as I'm saying it. And we can pause and we can talk about it. So you get the, you get everything that you would get if you were in front of me in person, but then you also get to watch the instant replay. And you get, like you said, you get to watch it as many times as you in need In slow to. motion. Mm -hmm. I oh, mean, it's, it's a lot yeah. easier. It, it's even better teaching tool for myself because I don't have to guess at what that wicked fast dog just, yeah. just read. I can yeah. just go, well, this is what I think it is. Pop it into half speed or quarter speed. And then I can say, yep, that's exactly it. And then give the feedback. Or I can say, well, that wasn't it. You're wrong, Megan. Try again. <laughs> Without making the team do it again. Yeah. I think I think online, I think online is a game changer for all of dog training. Um, you know, I'm definitely that's primarily where I work. It's primarily where you work now. Uh, it's good for us. It's also good for students. I do often feel like I can get a lot done versus seeing somebody once a week with online. I'm probably conversing with them every day. Yeah, you are. I mean, yeah. especially right now, the classes that I have right now, I'm seeing them maybe once or twice a day and maybe across the yeah. <laughs> hey you guys sit down maybe sometimes <laughs> right they're very dedicated they are and but but honestly the amount of time I spend with them is maybe not that much more than I would be in a group class mm -hmm. that once a week so the the time commitment is maybe not that much more but the feedback is way more targeted. It's way more specific. So I, I am seeing a, a different type of progress with online training than I did in in-person training. Yeah. And you're a person who went from a full-time schedule of in-person training to a full-time schedule of online training. So you, your, your information there 
is really valid that you have seen a huge change in these in students and some of these students are people who you used to teach in person that's right and you're seeing them learn faster and retain better online yeah yeah and it's kind of amazing it's kind of amazing so what's wrong with online training though because it isn't perfect no I think it does have biggest its for me, yeah the biggest one that i always think of is just technology sometimes people really struggle with that piece yeah it it does take a certain amount of dedication to that piece huge learning curve for some people to set you know setting up the camera in the right angle uh yeah you need equipment for that and then if not your camera you have to have your if you don't have a specific video camera you have to have a phone or device that has that capability and you have to make sure that you line it up so that you can actually film the training for the instructor to see and then you have to download it somewhere or edit it um so there are editing is a thing because trying to just trying to just make your training session short enough does not work for people you need to film your whole session cut it send us what we need to see right and it's just it just is a learning curve everyone can learn it i'm pretty capable i i'm pretty comfortable saying that i think that for the most part people can learn how to do it but it is harder for some people to learn than than for others and if you don't have great technology it's that much harder so you know, one of the reasons that I actually switched from one kind of computer to the other is, is that is video editing period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've made that switch. Yeah. (laughs) I know (laughs) what you're talking about. It was a good switch, but that's why I did it. Um, and so videoing is a big deal. Technology is a big deal. I think some people do struggle with feedback timing as far as it might take you a day, like they might post and then 12 hours later, you tell them what went wrong and they wanted to know right then, right? So sometimes a little bit of patience is required. Absolutely. And this is maybe a little bit on the job of the instructor giving the feedback, but the more precise and to the point and targeted your feedback is, the easier it will be for the student to turn around, apply that piece of feedback, and then feel like, oh, yeah, that went great. Mm -hmm. If the feedback led to more questions, that can be more frustrating for the Uh, learner. And I think sometimes that depends on the class type. Totally. Um, Absolutely. You know, if it's a little bit more uh, conceptual, like a lot of my classes are really conceptual, we might need to have a dialogue before you can train again. And that may take us a day and a half to have. And so you've got to have kind of the patience with that. But with agility training specifically, most of the time, I don't think you should have to have a dialogue. Yeah, it's really not. It should, if everything's broken down, finely enough, right? With any of our learners, mm-hmm. we want to split down as finely as we can. It it really can be, this was great. Keep doing this. Change this one thing. See how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you're really good at that. Not everybody is. So there's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be a theme here, an overarching theme, which is that 
your instructor probably matters more than the type of training that you pick. Ding, ding, Um, ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) And that if the right instructor for you only offers online training, then you probably need to adjust to online training. Right. Um, And if you are trying out online training and you are experiencing these frustrations that we're talking about, then maybe consider just trying one, someone else, try someone else first, because that's going to be across the board. If the format of the instruction and the feedback doesn't jive with you on top of you having to learn the technology side, you're not going to have a good experience. You're not going to have, and that goes for everything. So everything. I think, yeah. So let's move to another type because, <laughs> because honestly, that's the theme, right? And that's going to come up throughout. So next, I want to talk about um, in-person private training because we just talked largely about online. Most online training is relatively much, like private training, right? For yeah. the most part, you're working on you and your dog with an instructor and you're not relying on the group. Um, so we'll segue to private in-person training there's definitely some cons here. The biggest one for me is maybe lack of availability. Um, maybe cost. Yeah, for sure. But what are the good things about private in-person training? So it's pretty similar to online training and that the lessons can be a bit more tailor-made for the mm-hmm. student. Mm-hmm. And the progress and the each lesson as you progress through the material can be at the pace of the single student. Yeah. I think that um, it's kind of all the benefits, most of the benefits of online, but with faster feedback. Right. With immediate feedback. Yeah. Uh, but then again, you have the delay between from week to week. Right. So even if yeah. it's a pro, it's also in the con. That's a give and take then. Exactly. Right? Because um, I might give you homework, but I don't get to watch said homework. Yeah. You know, I, if we have a lesson and I send you home, hey, work on this. We yeah, typically then- wouldn't communicate until the following week about what you worked on at home. Yes, or maybe even two weeks, depending on cost, availability, et cetera. Right. Exactly. And so it's actually, it feels like you're getting immediate feedback, but online feedback is probably actually faster. So, I mean, I guess we could say a great way to do it would be in-person, private with some online in between. I think that that is actually (laughs) the ideal. That's like the ideal world for everyone. That's not easy to come by. It's not easy to come by because that demand would be so high. But like you just said, the availability, the cost, when when an instructor is only teaching or primarily teaching in-person privates, they can only do so many Mm -hmm. students per day. Whereas when I was teaching five right. or six group classes a day, I'm seeing 25 to 30 people a day, but realistically and can only do six or seven single hour private lessons in a day. 
<laughs> and I'm going to say that's a lot. It's a lot. I actually prefer four to five. Um, mm-hmm. But at my, I have this problem. I'm very bad at saying no. Um, so at the peak of my training, I would probably do six or seven private lessons in a day. I was doing that as well. So when I was teaching people in person, I had a couple of days a week that were private lessons all day. And it was that many. Um, And you guys, what that comes down to is that your instructor needs to pay their bills. And so um, we have to see more of you for more hours if we're seeing you individually, which is again, why group classes tend to work for so many instructors. That's why they dominate. (laughs) That is what, that's one huge reason they dominate. Even though most instructors would agree that they can teach you better individually, um, I think, which we'll get to. Or with smaller groups, right? Yeah. It's still about um, if you cost twice as much as anybody else, you get a kind of nasty reputation. Mm -hmm. And... I don't think that repu- like I don't think that's deserved. I think that people base their prices based on what they need to do, but that's probably that's another podcast because I feel really strongly that in this industry we chronically underprice ourselves. 100%. Um, <laughs> so that's another conversation for another day, but private in-person training, I think if you've got the right instructor for you because there's also that. So there's also kind of a chemistry situation. I had private in-person students sometimes that we just weren't going to get along. And that's a problem. We actually do need to get along. We need to be able to talk to each other. Well, Um, you, if I'm your instructor, you need to trust me, respect me and hopefully like me a little bit. And that's a lot to ask. (laughs) It's a big ask and you're not going to get along with every instructor that you try out. Yeah. And we aren't going to get along with every student. Like it's not fair to expect that we will. Right. Yeah. So again, if you're finding in-person private lessons frustrating, try someone else. Try someone else. And I feel that that's the same, you know, that's similar online. But I don't think you get as much of the individual human that you're working with online, which is right. a, which is a beauty a lot of the time and sometimes a curse, right? So it's like, it's if a student is hard for me and they're an online student, it's easy for me to walk away from their post and think about what I'm going to say. Right. If you're standing in front of me, and the thing you just said pissed me right off. You're probably you're at least going to see it on my face. <laughs> exactly. And there's going to be that moment of, oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. What what just happened? Are we going to be able right. to finish the lesson? Should we just call it quits now? <laughs> and the other way around is the same. I have been I have definitely had students that did not like me and I could tell mm-hmm. online. And I think that they feel less pressure than we do to make everybody feel okay leaving this conversation. So it's it's pretty obvious to us, you guys, if you don't like us. Right. <laughs> but like there there are those so, not your job to like us. It's right. fine you don't if you have, don't. If we're helping you meet your goals 
and that's enough for you, great. You don't yeah. actually, we're, it's okay if you don't like us. We're, we're fine with that. Uh, but that social aspect between teacher and student is not to pull us backwards into online training, but there is a difference. Um, yeah, it's a huge difference. And right, and maybe another reason why I like doing voiceover training so much or voiceover feedback so much is because then they can actually hear my voice. Yeah. And they can hear me sympathizing with them. They can hear me saying, yeah, I know this is hard. This is what needs to happen versus this just line of text of everything they need to be doing better. Absolutely. And I find more and more that I don't have private or group online students who don't listen to this podcast. Right. So they can hear your voice through it's your text. Yeah. And it, it makes it a little bit easier to, to listen and to hear. I think so. And I actually think that when I put the podcast out, I actually know that when I put the podcast out was when online students started to trust me before we even got going. You became human, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. now I wasn't a whatever behind a screen. Right. Now I was a person who was also vulnerable, who also laughs like that. You know, <laughs> I do think that there's something to be said about that, which which then comes down to, you know, it could be a pro or a con for you. Right. Online versus in-person private training. If you need that kind of human connection to learn, because I think some people legitimately do, then maybe you need that private in-person training and not online. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's a real, that's a real thing that I don't think about that much because I don't think I do need that to learn. Yeah, I, I'm the same. When you were describing the, that person that needs the human connection, I was drawing a complete blank. Um, <laughs> there are people like, who, what? Like, wait, wait, what? You were scratching your head. You were like, what is human connection? <laughs> what is human connection? <laughs> it's like, meh. But you were like, oh, right. I do have a partner. Right. Like I have it. <laughs> it exists in my mm -hmm. life. Oh, wait, but I don't need it as a teacher. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe in that also, I, I do think uh, it comes back to a little bit of how I was raised in the sport. I did a lot of online training um, mm -hmm. as far as like 10 years ago. Um, my oldest dog Smack was trained primarily through online classrooms, but I was also homeschooled through high school. Oh, so I, I did you learn. You're such a weirdo, Megan. I know. Well, that's there. You go. Guys, uh, <laughs> yeah, just I'm giving Megan a hard time. Anyway, as I do. Um, that's fascinating, though. Yeah. So I learned to learn through a computer screen without face-to-face -face instruction, listening to pre-recorded lectures or reading it on my own and then doing it and then getting feedback. So it's not abnormal to me and it's not new to me. You know what I just realized about myself is that I don't need that connection to learn, but I do teach better if I have it. Yeah. So that's kind of it. I don't know what I got to explore that. 
in my own mind, walking my dogs in the woods later, because I don't know what that's about. But okay, let's move down the line to I think a perceived con with private and online training is going to come up um, because I don't think it's real, but I think it's perceived. And that is um, that it doesn't mimic a trial at all. Right. Um, We're going to come back around to that because we're going to talk about group training next Um, because I think that that's a perceived pro of group classes Mm -hmm. and you guys I'm saying perceived for a reason I think someone if anyone listening has been jotting down notes and has created the Venn diagram of all Venn diagrams (laughs) following this conversation and if it is even possible to follow this conversation I for one would love to see it I'm sure that some nerd, because most of my listeners obviously are nerds, has got a whiteboard going right now. Okay, so and please. we need pictures. <laughs> we Post need pictures of how this conversation actually is useful. If you're following it, that was a, that was a good mention there. So group training... Most, I'd, I'd say the most widely available form of agility training. Most yes. of my students are enrolled in some kind of group agility class when they come to me. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. So that's going to be a pro. It's available. Um, it usually costs a lot less than either online or private training. Correct. Because you can spread it out against as many people as needed. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the... Um, Oh gosh, this is going to just sound terrible. I do not mean to, I'm not meaning to bash anything, but this is, it's that Walmart concept of um, you have more clients, more customers who are all paying less, Mm -hmm. right? So when you are pricing, this is again, another podcast, but when you're pricing a service, it is if you're only serving, if you're the fewer customers you're serving, the higher the price tag has to be. Right. And so you kind of, you have to do it kind of one way or the other. You either are going to serve a lot of people for not a lot of money, which I would say that's like the bronze level at FDSA. Yes. Um, You can serve a ton of people with that level because it is very inexpensive. And then the gold level at FDSA is more of that private training price tag. But hint, you guys, it's still a steal because of the amount of actual private individual attention you get. Um, So with your group classes, it's more like that bronze level. You're serving a ton of people for not as much money. So people aren't paying as much. Instructors are able to serve more individuals. It is widely available. Um, But we got cons. Oh, and people a lot of a lot of people I would say count the social aspect as a as a pro. Yeah, I think they do. I think and maybe the social aspect also serves to accountability, like oh my classmate's mm-hmm. dog is progressing, so I need to progress. Like there's that little bit of competitive edge and people when really really do get uh, a little bit married to that routine of showing up at the class at the same time every week with the same people and the same dogs and it feels comfortable. It's Uh, a family. It's a family thing. Mm -hmm. I, that was one of the most difficult things trying to schedule 
uh, group classes because once people got, they wanted to be with their friends. And I'm like, yeah, but this class is really going to be better for you and probably better for your schedule because maybe you'll actually be able to show up on time. But I remember that. That was an issue for me as well. (laughs) My classes were so tight knit because I didn't teach very many group agility classes. Um, They were so tight knit that I named them. Like they had names for them like it wasn't you know advanced Thursday six o'clock it was some other name right and people were devastated if I wanted them to switch yeah so I think again back to that like human connection bit people Mm -hmm. can get attached to that and I I think maybe that goes in both the pro and the con sure I'm going to say that you're, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, but I really love my group or I really love my private train or like whatever, um, your feelings matter. That, that needs to be taken into account. I have spent like, I don't know, five figures on therapy to figure that out. So like your feelings do matter. (laughs) Um, and you, you should take that into account. So if it is, your social evening with your friends and your dog and it's important to you that is a big enough pro probably to outweigh any cons for sure i agree okay i think our biggest issue my biggest issue with group classes (laughs) is that perceived benefit so let's kind of unpack that a little bit is that when you show up to a group class, you maybe feel like it mimics a trial better than your online training or your private training does. Um, speak to that a little bit, Megan, because I think that you disagree that it's mimicking the trial or even maybe that you need to. Yeah, so I think it, it kind of starts with maybe another pro of group classes is that the student can rely solely on the instructor to plan the training. They don't Mm, have to come up with the training plans. It's a big pro. Whereas when you're, and and even when you're doing private one-to-one, you might have to have a little bit more input on what you'd like to train, but you know, you have the instructor saying, this is what we're going to do today. So I think that's a big pro. And so if you don't have the instructor setting up a specific training class to mimic the ins and outs of trialing, then that's not happening. It's class and your dog knows it. Yes. And you know it and you run different. Exactly. Um, So it does take effort either on the part of the student or on the part of the instructor to set it up as a trial prep, a ring prep training session. Yeah. So let's get into that. Cause I like to divide my training into two categories and I do this for agility and obedience. Um, I call them skills or ring prep. And in the skills phase, I am breaking something down either for the dog or for myself 
and there's always going to be a high rate of reinforcement involved. Um, and then in the ring prep phase, I am literally trying, the goal is walk a course and try to survive that course the first time through without instructor feedback prior to running. Exactly. And additionally, I would say that it is wise for you to use the same reinforcement strategy that you will use in a trial. So don't have food on you. Don't have toys on you. Have everything outside of the ring. And, and that's your usually what doesn't happen in a group class setting. You know, it doesn't because you probably are blending the skills in the ring prep right. in a group class. That's that's kind of the standard go-to thing that happens. And it was a hard transition when I would have those days where I would set it up as this is a ring prep day. You're coming in, you're walking the course, you're leaving your reinforcers outside. And it it was a pretty big learning curve to actually have that happen. Yeah, because they... people would inevitably walk up, take their leash off, pop a cookie in that mouth. Yes. And you'll go, wait, 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 where'd that cookie come from, right? Right. Why do you have cookies yeah. on you? Or wait a minute, would... I thought the cookies were outside. They're like, oh, well, I have cookies in my pocket too. Or their dog breaks a stay and they walk back and they reset them and they start over. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. When there are no do-overs. Right. Yep, and and remember, I we we have more flexibility now that we can turn it into a training run, but we didn't when I was doing these you were things. Doing it, you didn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was a learning curve to convince the students to put this effort in to really rip the band-aid off and not have the reinforcers on you. Yeah, and I think that, you know, for me, because I've definitely benefited from all of these categories before, um, group, private, and online. When I benefit from a group situation, I am I am cognizant of which phase I am in. And I do that kind of for myself because I don't expect, I expect the status quo, which is for the instructor to blend both phases. Yes. And so I just, tr I typically will turn it into one or the other for myself. Yeah. And I think that is just easily communicated. If, if you were going to go in and treat your group class as a ring prep session, you could just mm -hmm. quickly say, hey, I want to try and get through this just start to finish without stopping. And I think most instructors would be more than happy to accommodate that request and then let you reward and then give some feedback and then try a couple of things. I think so. I think really, if you're going to utilize group classes, which most people are, it mm -hmm. is imperfect. It is an imperfect way to learn, but it's a really accessible way to learn for most people. And I think that we have to acknowledge that then and talk about, and maybe we do this in its own podcast, um, making the group class really work for you. But making it work for you often comes down to knowing what you need and then communicating that. Right. In, in which, going back to that, the pro of going to a group class is that the instructor is in charge of your training. 
and you're training mm-hmm. for that day, if you want something different out of the training, now that responsibility becomes a little bit more on you because that that's no to longer me, pro. Yeah. right. For the most difficult part of preparing a group class lesson is trying to accommodate the needs of the entire class. So I mean, what I'm going to say, it was impossible for me. I struggled it, with it. It's so impossible. I, so I, yeah. at, at the end of it, I had a maximum of five in my 90 minute class. And mm-hmm. basically whatever I wanted to work on, you could pretty much guarantee that for one student, it was going to be too easy. For mm-hmm. one student, it was going to be too difficult and three were going to, it was going to be perfect for them. And the the goal would just be that it wasn't the same three people having a perfect class every time. Yes. Yeah. Right. And totally. totally. And when I would make these course plans, specific dogs would pop into my head. Like this is going to be above this team's skill level. This is going to be below. This is going to so, but because group classes often come down to when it fits into your schedule, it does mm-hmm. sometimes that happens that you are going to be on the outside of the curve for the lesson. Yeah. And so if, if you are on the outside, but still relying on the instructor, then that instructor needs to be able to notice, oh, this is too easy or this is too hard. Yeah. And so that comes down to, a group class, again, just like all the other categories, is only as good as its instructor. <laughs> right. So if it's not working, I would first try communicating that to the instructor. Hey, it feels like every week the lessons are a little bit too easy or they're a little bit too hard. And then seeing if you can make progress there through communication. But if not, you got to go somewhere else. Yeah. And I think, um, again, I think a really good instructor is going to see in front of them what's going on. And, um, like I've had, to be honest, largely instructors who were good at managing a group. And so if the person in front of them was having a hard time with something, they would break that down specifically. Or if the person in front of them aced it, they don't just then dismiss that person and say, right. the turn is over. Right? And that's a balance. Mm-hmm. But we also have this back to that social aspect, the pro of maybe a little bit of competitive edge. The con is the comparison. So if you are that student, if you are that student, but yeah, people do. If you're that student that went in and couldn't get through the entire exercise, because you had to have it broken down and you had to be sent back to kindergarten and all your classmates got through the class and they're talking about how great it was. And that's consistently you every week. It hurts. Even if you are, even if you are technically improving, if your brain doesn't let you see it, it's not going to be a good learning environment. Also, our brains don't like us to see that. Our brains no, like to train. Like our brains suck. They want to see failure. And so that's kind of what they see. I definitely um, have very dramatically stated after a training situation, well, I just, I suck at agility. Yeah. <laughs> or, or 
I'm quitting agility. You know, like I definitely have very dramatically had those moments. It's usually about self comparison and not other people in the class, but um, you guys, like I've been there, you've been there. And sometimes that's through no fault of anyone, except that this isn't the right format for you. Yeah. We just, we have to just own that bit that they're and and be really, really lucky that we have all these formats now because if there isn't and again I saw this a lot in group classes especially if maybe a team got started with foundations somewhere else or even started competing got all the way to a competition level somewhere else and then would come in they don't exactly fit in any class right then and there so that's where maybe supplementing with some private in-person training is a good idea to either catch you up to the next level or so that you can fit better in a group setting because that lack of individual attention and tailor-made the tailor making the lessons for the individual is is probably the biggest con with group classes i think so and i think um we got to be, you know, sometimes when I talk about the problems with a type of training that I no longer do. So like I used to teach group classes, you guys, and I may, I did all of these things. I, it was imperfect across the board. It definitely, but I felt it and saw it. And I think it's why I don't do it anymore. It's one it's reason so I don't do hard. it anymore. Because it is really, really difficult. And so even, so when I am teaching groups, which is always going to be in a workshop or seminar format. Um, I'm just the person that I've got to work each team individually. I can't have 10 of them on the floor. Right. And, you know, a lot of people um, will run their seminar completely differently. Um, I teach at a huge training facility in Dallas when we're not, you know, in the end of times, um, I, I teach at a huge facility in Dallas and so do some of my colleagues. And one of my colleagues, um, was there kind of the weekend before I was there and she had the entire group of 12 working spots out on the floor. Cause there was plenty of space for them Yeah, all working on one thing. And for some reason, she's just a magician and made that work really well for people. I, that is not right. a thing that I, I can do. I can't split my brain 12 ways. Yeah. And so that matters too. Like I I can do it for certain exercises, but I don't like it. It's it's not easy for me to do because it would be typically what happens is it's easy to get stuck helping one person in the group because they're having a hard time and then you it's very hard to to divide your t- attention evenly when you have lots of learners out on the floor at the same time. Well, you inevitably won't because like we talked about, you will have hit the sweet spot for some of them. Right. But you will wind up giving more attention to those people that are struggling. Right. And I mean, that's a hundred percent why I went to using a timer in group classes so Mm -hmm. that you, so that the ones that were outside of the curve and they, I wasn't hitting the sweet spot with that lesson. They were still getting the same amount of time, but their time was spent on me kind of pivoting their lesson instead of going forward with the lesson that I had planned in my mind. And 
that's life. That's always going to happen. Uh, but the timer really, really helped me and helped resolve any yucky feelings that I had of driving home at night going, did I ignore any student today? Did I shortchange yeah. anyone today? Yeah. Did everyone leave getting something? <laughs> I have so much sympathy for people who make their living teaching group agility classes or group, oh my God, even worse, group pet dog classes, because it used to be my life. It used to be my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. It, I recognize how hard it is. It is so hard. I lost so much sleep. I know. I'm like, do you remember that five figures of therapy? Like it could have involved also the fact yes. that I was doing that for a living because probably we do. If you're, you know, if you've got a good instructor, you guys, they're agonizing over what they're teaching you. They yeah. are. hundred percent. It just is what it is. Or I, I, I would over, over it now. Yes. It's just that it's online. And so I'm able to tailor it better to people. Yes. But I totally agonize. I mean, I, called a colleague yesterday and was like this is what's happening with the student and I blah 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 and like she was like wow so like on top of everything in the world that's really emotionally draining you right now this situation's also emotionally draining you right now and I was yeah. like how much do I owe you for this therapy session right. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more it it's it's really difficult but I will say that so from the teacher perspective, like I mentioned, planning for group classes is the most difficult because we're agonizing over, is everyone getting what they need? When I'm no, just planning, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, when I'm just planning for an individual private lesson, it's like, oh, I'll just look at my notes and go, all right, this is what we did last week. This is what I thought we needed to work on. Boom. Here's the, here's the next lesson. Yeah, I tried so hard to keep notes in my group classes. It's too many. It's too cards. many. It's too fast. I barely had yeah. time long enough in between classes to like use the bathroom, much less take notes. <laughs> no. um, and, and again, like, so I would try to take these notes on everyone. And what it, it actually sometimes made it more difficult because then I would I would try to pre plan like four or six weeks of content at a time. For group classes, but then I would go to review the next lesson and go, ah, oh, crap, this means it's going to be a bad week for the same person twice in a row. Let me change it. <laughs> uh, the group slash, you know, any of these, again, you guys, it's very, very individual. It's, are you jiving with the instructor and are you improving? Yeah. Those I don't really want to be bagging on one thing yeah. or the other. They um, all have, yeah, they all have great things and they all have their downfalls they absolutely do so let's let's talk about this final category um which is just plain training alone so just running running your entire training situation so I will say that this is my obedience life mm -hmm. um, I get more help in agility but this is my obedience life and I I train alone I do well with it um and it's your agility life Pretty much. It is my agility life. I'm going to say pros are that basically if this works for you, that means you're a self-starter. It means that you are good at setting goals for yourself um, and then setting up kind of what are, the, what are the sub goals? What are the process goals that I need to achieve to hit those outcome goals? 
I would I say the vast majority of people in dog sports do not operate well this way. Yeah, I I tend to agree and I don't know how that started if it's just that it there was always a group class and and there was never that urgency to create goals mm-hmm. on your own, create processes on your own. Mm-hmm. Again, going back I, I did this from day one. I started agility over 20 years ago in Mississippi. There was no agility people. I was it. Yeah. The club that we had, we started obedience and we moved into agility. We created agility in that area. Sure. So and from I, day one, I was kind of born into that process. Yeah, it's necessity. Yeah, um, absolutely. It was just born of necessity. And I, I've definitely come in and out um, of training by myself for agility too. I'm just lucky now that I have a lot of great resources um, to not train by myself. Mm-hmm. And with obedience, basically, when I crossed over, so when I decided that I wasn't going to use um, corrections in my training, basically, anymore, I, I didn't have a choice. It was okay. Now you're going to train on your own. Right. And I actually just kind of left obedience for a while, um, for, you know, in that time frame, and, but always kind of trained it on my own. And I just, I enjoyed training it. And, but my competitive my competitive life in obedience has been kind of in a lull for so long because I wasn't setting those goals. And now I'm back to setting goals and kind of meeting those goals with, um, with my own personal training, as well as I now have this online community. So I think with training, training alone doesn't have to mean alone. Right. It just, for me, it means I'm not paying somebody for help. Um, but I definitely have, I have a cabinet for everything. I mean, I have humans to talk to about obedience. I have humans to talk to about agility. I have humans to talk to about behavior. Right. And I think it's important for everybody to build that community for themselves and build the right kind of community for themselves, which is trainers who are roughly at your level, honestly, because if you're trying to build a cabinet out of people that you actually should be paying for helping you, you should be paying them (laughs) or... (laughs) If you're building a cabinet out of people who should be paying you, right? Then they paying you. You need to build your cabinet of people who are roughly at your level. Yeah, that can be hard for people to recognize. I think absolutely, uh, because I and this is maybe just a completely different conversation. But there's also this um, the these blurred lines, especially in dog sport communities, that everyone's your friend and we're all. <laughs> like in this together. And so then mm-hmm. it can sometimes be awkward um, having a more professional relationship with your friend. Um, and that's all real, but we, yeah. we can do better as professionals creating boundaries, which sucks and it's hard, but we can it's do so that. It comes uh, right down to it. I have friends who are, they're my friends, but they used to be my clients. Right. Or they're my friends and my clients. Yeah. And so I will have, I have one friend who's been, um, she's kind of been with me through the long haul. She's been working with me on and off for a long time with various dogs. And she'll send me a note and I'll say, 
do you want me to be your friend or your trainer right now? Right. And I will just put it out there. And she will sometimes say, hey, be my friend. Look at this video. Or hey, mm-hmm. as a trainer, what do you think of this? Right? Like, and God, that's so important to it actually is. draw those boundaries. Like I can see, um, you've helped me a ton with Felix and I can see a day in the future when you are not, you and I are at the same, I hope, my God, um, <laughs> a day in the future when you and I are at the same big event and it's going to be so important for us if we're both competing to be friends at that event right. and not have me drain on you at that event. And I feel that way about students, even just, you know, anytime I'm at, I'm sure you feel it because you've taught in this area for so long. If you go to a local trial, it's again, it's so important to draw those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a very, there was a rule book around when students were allowed to there talk to me to or not. Mm-hmm. I had one too. It was if, if my headphones are on or I have a dog attached to me, I'm not exactly hundred <laughs> percent. That's the rule book. <laughs> and that, that's it. That's the rule book. And, and they um, are fireable offenses. <laughs> like... Well, they have to be. And I wrote a blog about it forever ago. Um, that if I can find it, I'll link it for you guys. Um, that got me just some of the, some of my first hate mail. <laughs> I can imagine. That essentially said that. That essentially said, if you are asking your instructor to teach you at a trial, you should be paying them. You should be paying them. And you should also ask them ahead of time if that's even on the table. Yeah, because that's going to be a huge range of what people are willing to do and what people are not willing to do. Exactly. Exactly. And I think... Um, as my career has really shifted, it happens to me a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, it, my students were so good at it in Colorado. They were so good at respecting my boundaries because I laid them out. Um, yeah. and they're ama- I, like boundaries are really effective when they are put up. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, like <laughs> it needs to be clearly stated and then people know what to do. Yes, and then hold them to your criteria. Hmm. <laughs> yes, then don't break your own rules. Right. So I think training alone can be fantastic, but some of the tips for it for me are that you need to be as good about record keeping, videoing, all of those things as you might be in another situation. You're not going to have somebody doing that for you. Right. The responsibility Um, shift is huge, huge huge. responsibility shift, huge accountability shift too. So that online training accountability is something that I think we could rank. And I would say that you're most accountable to a private in-person instructor. And then people feel second most accountable to group classes, Mm -hmm. which I think would be a pro for a lot of people. And then third would be online in a working spot, people feel like no accountability in an auditing spot, which is a con of the auditing spot for so I mean, I have yes. people say, I'm just not signing up because I didn't get a gold spot. And I know that I won't do the work. Absolutely. And I think that's important to know about yourself. And when you're training alone, that accountability piece is a real piece. And that's again, where your community can come in. Um, as far as obedience training, like if I didn't have my online friends, 
t- who I got to talk to and go back and forth with um, and set goals with, I think I would be less accountable to myself in that sport because I love training that sport and I don't love trialing in that sport. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if I don't trial, I don't set the goals and I don't do the training. Right. So it's a double-edged sword. So competition can be the accountability factor for those working at home alone. And your, Mm -hmm. your story about obedience, how you crossed over and then that kind of left you a little bit, out of sorts and kind of alone training by yourself. I think there are probably is probably applicable to your listeners here in agility as they are increasing their knowledge about training. They might be taking a hard look at their training situations and making Mm -hmm. the hard decisions that, you know, maybe this dog that I have for where we are right now is better off taking the homeschooled training alone route um, because which is a journey that I've, it's actually literally on my podcast whiteboard <laughs> Excellent. to go through this in depth because I went through it in obedience and I very recently realized that I've gone through it in agility too, but I didn't know it was happening <laughs> until it, uh, until it kind of slapped me in the face. Um, yeah. but I think it is really applicable. You guys have to look at your individual circumstances. I got a ton out of a group class that I did with Iggy when she was young. I homeschooled her all through her foundation. And then when she was about three or four and I wanted to get more competitive, I started going to a group class and I got a ton out of it. Yeah. I think there's, there's maybe a lesson here that they can all work for you. Each category. You make them work for you. If you understand what you need, they can work for you. Because maybe I'm dragging us back into a different conversation, but there's also going to be times where, you really want to do the group class thing and that class would be a good thing for you, but your dog isn't prepared to be in that environment. <sighs> Huge. So even if it would be a good thing and you love that instructor and you really want that content, you might not be in a place in your teamwork to access it. Yeah. And I think um, this, I go through this a lot with my students coaching them to alter or leave their training situation because it's not working for the current dog that they have. Right. And it, it's very painful for a lot of people to go through. Um, and I totally recognize it. And I mean, with like with Felix, he has, you know, he's been a roller coaster for me. And one of those roller coaster pieces was that, his, you know, just he, I'm, I'm saying he needs it, but truthfully, all dogs kind of deserve what Felix said in neon lights that he needed. Right. Which is everything broken down into its smallest parts and then presented. And then the, the hard things about the environment getting layered in rather than thrown on top of him, which is right. what we do honestly, when we train them foundation through competition in group settings a lot of the time. Yeah, you can't split things as finely. You know, that was um, one of the most, I always wanted, I I got tons of requests for teaching puppy classes or foundation, but the facilities that I had available to me to teach those classes in were the most difficult 
environments or babies. So we would say, yes, I mean, it's just impossible. It's impossible. So, you know, so again, making every category work for you, maybe the ideal situation would be some combination of homeschooling and some in-person private training or some following along with a puppy foundation class um, with Mm -hmm. or without feedback and then kind of finding a good group situation that meets your needs might be the better route than just sticking a hundred percent to online training or a hundred percent to in-person group classes. I think everyone needs a little bit of everything. I think, I mean, I've definitely gone through every single iteration. We didn't go into seminars, but I think that deserves its own hour to be honest. Yeah, totally. We'll set that up. you guys. Um, so let's clarify and kind of right. How's that whiteboard going, nerds? It's insane whiteboard Venn diagram with like swirly arrows. There's probably a flow chart situation um, going on that is just the brain, the collective brains of um, Megan and myself. I'm going to say that the things you need to consider are accountability. How much accountability do you need, and which which thing gives you the right amount? Social aspect, friends, feelings, like how, how much does that matter to you and which one gives you the right amount? You know, because I hear, Megan, that unlike you and I, people like <laughs> social situations. I think we get it differently. We right? get it differently. We, it's true. It's... I'm, I'm making us both out to be total like under the bridge trolls, but we, it for me a learning environment has never been also a social environment and right then it might active. speak more to our school experience than anything else I don't know but probably because I we're mean, both socialized by adults in the dog sport world uh-huh. in high school yeah like I went to school but it didn't mean I have friends um <laughs> same <laughs> the first nine years were not very social uh- <laughs> So accountability, sociability, um, technology, it's something you need to consider. And I would say both training alone and online require you to have some savvy on that front. If you're training alone right now and you're not videoing yourself, uh, learn how to figure it out. That is step number one. You'll, (laughs) You'll get so much better, so much faster when you do. Half the time I delete most of my training videos, don't do anything with them after I review them. Uh Like you don't need to do anything. You don't even need to edit necessarily by yourself unless you need to for some reason. But anyway, so technology is a thing. Your schedule is definitely a thing. Yeah, the schedule and the time commitment. It is very hard for me to take up half of my day going to a lesson or a class. Right. So that that's actually pretty huge. If you're say training on your own or doing some online training and you have to commit to going to a park, setting everything mm-hmm. up, but you're doing it a hundred percent for you, you might be more willing to commit the time for it rather than driving two hours for a class mm-hmm. that you only get 10 or 15 minutes of time. Sure. So the time commitment Absolutely. and how much effort you're putting into it is a, is a big thing. The time commitment is big. And for me, again, this is another reason that 
being a, a lone trainer for obedience works largely really well for me because I, it's not a lot of setup. It's not the same equipment requirements right. that agility is. Um, and I can literally take Iggy and a dumbbell out into my backyard and get a lot done. Yeah. In 10 minutes. It doesn't even, you know, and that's, that's important. So time commitment is huge. How much time do you actually have? And, and so um, for agility that will be largely impacted by the facilities near you that yeah, you can you have the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Either you can go rent or you set things up at or get that private training or that group training because driving there and setting things up, that's part of it. Um, so some, if, if you've got a group class, it's 10 minutes from you, but you can't train on your own in your backyard and you have to drive 30 minutes to a park to set things up. Absolutely. The group class is more attractive in that column. <laughs> Absolutely. And group classes for me, one of the pros is Felix is weird about equipment. I need to get him on different kinds of equipment. Um, And so that's a thing. That's a legitimate thing and a legitimate reason for me to make the trek somewhere else. Yeah. Either as a ring rental or even dropping in mm -hmm. or doing a, a session, one session for group classes. They're all flexible. Did I Definitely. mention it's flexible? Did I mention it should do it depends. all? The answer is so. Which one is best, Megan? Well, the answer is it depends. It depends. Right? Um, which one? It it really does depend. And then I would say the final kind of take home that I would like everybody to have is that um, to be training efficiently and well, I do think for sports, I do think you need to divide things into skills and ring prep. Oh, we and could talk for days doing, on this. We, it's probably something we should talk about another time. So what do we have? Like three other podcasts we need to record? Um, At least. Meet my new co-host, Megan Foster. <laughs> <laughs> the Agility Series. I think people are going to dig that. We'll probably go ahead and just talk about that. Um, but so really understanding skills versus ring prep and understanding when you are blending the two. And that that is the least effective way to be doing anything. Yeah. So if you show up and your group class is 20 obstacle course that you walk and you do not discuss, and then you try to run it. And as soon as something goes wrong, you turn to your instructor and go, what happened? That is you blending the two. So I would say if you walk that 20 obstacle course and you know exactly where it's going to go wrong, you say to the instructor, I would like to just do this part. Yes. 100%. And I don't know a single instructor that's going to tell you, no, you guys are going to be cool with that. Yeah. Um, if they, Honestly, if they're worth any of your money, they're going to be cool with that. And And then you just spent, you say, don't give me any more time than anybody else. I would only like to do this part. And what, and how do you think I should do it rather than screwing it up? If you don't even know how to do it, say, how should I do it? Right. Don't, because that comes back again, everything comes back around to good dog training. And if you are constantly making huge errors in your handling, your dog is learning not to trust your handling. And that's the most dangerous lesson for your dog to learn, which again, that's like another hour that we could segue off on. At least. 
You do not, you really don't want to get me started. I don't want to get back and started on that. So I'm just going to say, if you go and you, if your class is generally run like that, go in, walk the 20 obstacles, find the part you think you're going to struggle with, say to your instructor, I want to work this part. Right. Um, I think it's really important to not blend skills and ring prep for sure. And then just, I would say track progress some way so that you know um, if things are working for you or not, because the way that you leave, the emotions you have when you leave a session are not always going to be indicative of whether you're learning or not. Yeah. Sometimes I learn a lot and then I'm kind of wiped out at the end. (laughs) Or sometimes I learn nothing and I feel like a rock star. Right. Um, Just because you had a great time mm-hmm. at class, it's all on mm-hmm. it's all on a curve here. Maybe you've been having a terrible time. Everything's been too hard for you. And then suddenly you have a great yes. time. Everything was perfect for you. That doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean you got better. Doesn't necessarily right. not mean that. But you right. do need to be able to track your progress some way. You have to. And, and maybe you do that by comp- by competing. And maybe you do that maybe. by tracking your errors, tracking your errors in competing. Um, or maybe, you know, for me, the way to track whether or not I'm getting better is when I learn something new one week and then the next week I'm able to replicate that skill without being told. Yeah, so that's a good, that's that, a good benchmark. I like that. That means though keeping track of what you've learned which Mm -hmm. means keeping notes which god nobody wants to do any of this oh it's very hard (laughs) but yeah i it has to be done so everybody does want to get better though and that's how you get better yes keep some notes doesn't have to be fancy and make whatever agility options you have work for you with communication 100 percent we should have started right. with that. We probably should have started with that. That's probably all we actually needed to say. But over an hour later, Megan, where can people find you if they are like, who is this woman? I need to know more. Okay. Well, I have a website, um, synergydogsports.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. I have a business page. Synergy Dog Sports. And I also have a training group, Synergy Dog Sports Training Group. It's a very fancy name for it. Uh, that I hear you guys. I know. Synergy Dog Sports. Right. If you if you Google that, you will find me. And I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. Um, but in that training group, I do run a Facebook live every week that we talk about agility topics and training and puppies or whatever anyone wants to talk about. So lots of good resources for everyone. Those are your Monday night musings and they are really fantastic. So you guys, that is a training group that's open to anybody. Anybody can come on in and I will link it in the show notes. So thanks, Megan. I don't know what that Venn diagram looks like, but I appreciate you riffing on it (laughs) with me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited to see it. Whoever has it somewhere. Come on, nerd. Produce it. Please. I would love to see it. Um, But this was great. I love talking about agility. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the Cogdoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron.